Good morning. I get to begin by introducing uh, a new family, a new couple. Uh, actually, it's a reintroducing, uh, sort of a, a welcome back. Um, uh, Hunter and Chamberlain Carey, uh, a lot of you know them because they grew up here. Uh, and they uh, went off to college at Harding and uh, got married about two years ago, uh, and they have relocated here, and so we want to say welcome back. And so if you've come our way since they were gone, uh, there may be a new face to you, but for a lot of us, we're just thankful to have them back, uh, none more so than their um, parents, because they've got a little one due. In fact, I say that they're not here today. I would have them stand and you could uh, uh, see them in person. Um, they're having their baby this week, or at least that's the plan. Uh, and so they're laying low today, and uh, we understand that. And so uh, good news, uh, great news, and a wonderful family. We're glad to welcome them. I, I want to pray for them and their baby coming this week, but also um, the Sanchez baby uh, is due. And then also the Bingham twins are due. And so we've got some babies coming. Uh, let, let's pray for these families. Oh, what a blessing it is that we can call on your name. And we are grateful for the Carries and the Sanchez family and for the Bingham family and these little ones that we're about to meet. Father, we pray that all will go well. Give them peace. Give them your comfort. Help, help them to know how much we love them and support them. Sir Jesus, we pray. Amen. I didn't mention what they do. I just looked at my notes. I was supposed to tell you. Um, Hunter is in insurance. Uh, I'll continue. Uh, he's with State Farm and uh, is doing very well with that. And, and Chamberlain is uh, a nurse. Uh, and so good, good stuff. Um, Open your Bibles to John 14 if you'd like to follow along. Uh, the outlines, the back of the bulletin, in fact, the opening verse is there at the top of the outline if, if that will help you. In John chapter 14, verse 18, Jesus told his followers, I will not leave you as orphans. It was time for Jesus to die. So he was preparing his followers. He knew the kind of fear that they would face. And he knew they were going to be overwhelmed with uncertainty. So he wanted them to know that even though they may feel alone, they were not alone. And the application here is obvious. Even though you may feel alone, you are not alone. You know, parents, if you leave your young children, maybe for an evening or, or a weekend getaway, they typically want to know a few things from mom and dad before you go. You know, like, where are you going? And when you're coming back, and who's going to take care of us? I remember our children asking a question, something like that. Uh, maybe I've shared the story before. I can't recall. Our kids were young. We were in the cars, a road trip, not sure of their age. I'd put it this way. They were young enough to lack self-control and old enough to be obnoxious. <clears throat> now, that's a window of time. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, they, were not, they were not doing well. Uh, we were trying to get them to behave, to be quiet, and it was not pleasant. And we just about had it. And my wife had one of those moments of sheer brilliance. She very calmly turned around to all three of them and said, I'm about to pull down my invisible curtain. And when I do, your dad and I will not be able to hear a word you say, and we will finally have peace and quiet. 
And so she reached behind between the two seats up to the ceiling of the, of the van and started pulling down that invisible curtain. And the kids were just stunned. <laughs> They'd never heard that before. They didn't know what to think. And she got all the way down to the bottom. And finally, one of them just burst into tears and said, but what if we need you? Yeah. What if we need you? Is that not what the disciples were thinking? Jesus had been with them for three years and been telling them, the day will come. I'm going to give up my life. One day is coming. In fact, John's gospel starts at the very beginning. Chapter 2, he starts telling them about this day, but now the day is here. This is the final Passover that he's with his followers, that he gets to celebrate with them before his death. John's gospel includes what he said just before he left. John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet in a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me, and I in you. So Jesus is promising them the Holy Spirit. But I wonder, as they're hearing this, these words that are intended to comfort them, how really comforting it was. Because think about it. They had become so accustomed to Jesus being right there with them, being in his presence. And I don't know if if that promise would have gone very far to help them to feel at ease because they still are trying to wrap their brains around the fact that he's saying he's going to leave them. And for three years, he'd been right there with them. When they were in the boat and the storm was overwhelming, there was Jesus with them. In his presence, they were comforted. When they were with that great crowd of hungry people, Jesus provides enough for all of them to eat. He was right there with them. In his presence, they're courageous. In his presence, they were comforted. But now Jesus says he's leaving. The Holy Spirit is coming. And yet Jesus knows their hearts. And from his words, you sense that he understands that they're having a hard time grasping that his departure is a good thing. So he brings it up again. What John records in John chapter 16. Look at verses 4 through 7. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is the ESV. It says, it is to your advantage. That's the way it's worded. The NIV says, it's for your good. So Jesus is saying, my leaving is for your good. It's for your advantage. This is better. How is this better? How is Jesus leaving and the Holy Spirit coming better? 
I'll put this on the screen. It's also on the outline. God in you is better than God with you. God in you is better than God with you. Jesus wanted them to understand you're not alone. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. The Holy Spirit will come and he will live in you. You ever read an amazing story in the Old Testament and wonder what it would have been like to have experienced that? That moment to see God's power, God's presence. And sometimes we read those stories in the Old Testament and think, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask them, you know, what was that like? Abraham, Abraham, what was it like to offer your son Isaac and for God to stop your hand in the middle of the air to keep you from taking the life of your son? What was it like to be in the presence of God? To hear that promise, he's going to bless all your offspring. Moses, what was it like to stand before the burning bush? to experience his presence, or to be there on Mount Sinai and just to be there and talk with God. Elijah, what was it like to defeat the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? What was it like to see that little boy raised to life? What was that like? Well, Abraham, Moses, and Elijah and others tell you about their awesome experience, but then look to you and say, but you tell me, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit of God living in you? What was that like? God's presence inside you is better than God's presence beside you. Last week we talked a little bit about the power of the Holy Spirit, what he does for us. I want to continue that today as we kind of explore his presence the very presence of the Spirit. What does he do for us when he is in us? Now, not an exhaustive list, but I want to share a few that the Scripture mentions repeatedly. Let's begin with what Jesus said in the context of this promise. And that is first, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. If you keep reading what Jesus said to his disciples, look at John 16, verse 8. And when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. He will convict the world concerning sin. The Holy Spirit helps us to realize we need a Savior. And the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us. When you become a follower of Jesus, he continues to convict. He, he makes you aware of some areas of your life that don't mesh with the standard of God. You ever been in the presence of someone who makes you extra aware of things? Just, just being in them, you're, you're just aware of things that otherwise you wouldn't be aware. Like, like maybe it's an expert on a subject, and just being in their presence makes you aware that you're not the expert. Or, or maybe someone who is just super nicely dressed, it makes you aware that you are underdressed. You know what I'm talking about? That sense of awareness. Or maybe just someone to you is, is a spiritual giant, and just being in their presence makes you realize you're not. A spiritual giant. Maybe this will help illustrate what I'm trying to explain. Years ago, we lived in Montgomery, Alabama, and supported a, a missionary from Thailand. 
he, he came to the States, and we wanted to treat him very well. And there was one uh, family at church that offered to uh, host them in their home. And, and they're wonderful people. And, and uh, uh, Montgomery has the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. It's this, this awesome, awesome uh, venue, and they put on plays. It's great. And uh, John was one of, uh, he's a real estate developer, and, and he contributed and helped raise money for them. And so we were going to take them to this play. He invited C and me to come to dinner at their house, and we're going to go to this play. And we arrived early, and his wife was frantic. She was in their son's bedroom where the missionaries were going to sleep, and she was ripping posters off the wall. And we thought, what is this about? I'm not sure if they were sports posters or maybe NASCAR or something, but they had a beer logo on the bottom. And she said, I can't have Bud Light on the walls with the missionary sleeping in there. And so she's frantically, she knew they were in there. But the very presence of the missionary made them aware. You know what I'm talking about? Just someone who just kind of opens your eyes just a little bit. Or think about it like this. Remember when you were a teenager, maybe in college, and your family decided to watch a movie? And you had already seen the movie, maybe your family had not, and you said, oh, I saw it in the theater, it was great. You know, back in my day, then it would come to Blockbuster and you could rent it. Now it's Netflix and others, you can get it online. But kind of the same principle there. So you've seen it, you're recommending it, maybe your mom and dad have not. And so the, maybe it's Christmas time, holidays, and you all gather around, and, and the movie starts, and all of a sudden the language is just a flowing. And you didn't remember that language being so prevalent. And you're looking up at your mom, and you're just kind of squirming. You know what I'm talking about? Her presence in the room as you're watching the movie, now you're extra aware. Or maybe there's a passionate scene. You're thinking, Lord, let the power go out. <laughs> I need help. That's what we're talking about here. Just their presence makes you extra aware. Now, we should have been aware of all of that beforehand. Before a missionary comes to town, before you're watching a movie with your parents. But here's my point. When we grasp the holiness of God, when we grasp the holiness of God, when we realize the Spirit's presence, we become aware. We become conscious of things that before we didn't know, we didn't see, we weren't thinking of. We used to rationalize. We used to justify. No big deal. Some of the things that we would laugh at as entertainment, now we realize that's why Jesus died on the cross. And it's not funny. The Holy Spirit draws our attention. It opens our eyes. He softens our hearts. He convicts us of sin. He helps us to see this is the standard of God and this is the pollution of the world. He helps us to see. He convicts us of sin. So much so that then more and more we can align our lives with his will, with his standard. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 
So if you're a follower of Jesus, your life has been bought with the blood of Christ. So you no longer belong to yourself. It's no longer about what you want. It's what God wants. That's what it means to be a completely committed follower of Jesus. And you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you realize that, the reality of his presence, the holiness of God, there is no greater accountability. You're not worried about some missionary to visit or, or parents looking over your shoulder. You're talking about God here who is living within you. He sees what you're watching on all your screens, your phone, your tablet, your computer, your TV. He hears what you say and the way you talk with your friends. Even more, he can look at your heart. And when you speak those words in anger, you don't just owe that person an apology that you spoke the words to. You owe him an apology because you've offended him. Earlier we read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 in a previous lesson. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Another translation says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. That the Holy Spirit could be made sad or grieved by our actions, by the way we live. Why? Because he wants what's best for us. He knows what's best, and that's what he wants for us, because he loves us. If he didn't love us, then he wouldn't want that. See, if, if the Holy Spirit were a stranger, then we might be able to aggravate him. Just a co-worker, we could get on, get on their nerves, or, or maybe a distant family member, and we don't really care what they think. But he loves us. And so the way we live can make him sad. The way Paul put it here, it grieves him. So it's more than just breaking a rule, it's breaking a heart. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Well, there's another thing. Second, the presence of the Holy Spirit confirms our salvation. And I almost want to see this as a one-two, as, as if they go together, because the balance is so important. Because it may be that we're so aware of the conviction of the Holy Spirit that that's what we think of him as this cosmic killjoy. That all he does is tell me the things I cannot do and the times where I blow it. Well, that is part of it. The other part is that he confirms our salvation. And this is so important. Because what he does is he constantly affirms you are a child of God. You are in a relationship with him. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, look what Paul wrote. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And then chapter 4, verse 6. And because you are sons of God, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. So think about that. So the Holy Spirit is not just telling you what you did wrong. The Holy Spirit is telling you who you are. You are a child of God. We belong to him. When you were young, did your parents ever tell you that when you were going out on a Friday night or a Saturday night? Remember who you are? Did you tell your children that? Because it matters. When Satan tempted Jesus, do you remember how he worded it, how he framed it, the words Satan used? If you are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, then jump. The son of God, the child of God, that relationship, that's what he's talking about here. You being a child of God matters. Matters to God, it matters to you. It matters to Satan. 
It matters to Satan that you know it. If you are a child of God, that's what he's saying here. Look at Romans 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Let me read that again. The Holy Spirit, the witness of our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that he may be glorified with him. I am convinced the more that we are aware of the Holy Spirit's presence, the more we're aware of his presence, the more you're mindful of your relationship with God, and the more secure you are in your salvation. They all go together. So you see yourselves and your, your, your thoughts, I'm a child of God. I'm his daughter. I'm his son. I'm an heir. He wants me to live with him in eternity. He's on my side. So yes, he's telling me where I missed the mark. He convicts me of sin, but he quickly reminds me that I'm a child of God and he wants what's best for me. Paul explains the Holy Spirit is a seal, a deposit, a guarantee of our salvation. Look at the wording here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And have you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit confirms you belong to God. You are his child. You are his daughter. You are saved. Now, one day that salvation will be complete when we live with him in eternity. But until that day, the Holy Spirit here serves as a guarantee, as a seal. In that day, in that culture, a seal signified ownership, guaranteed protection. That's what's going on here. So if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit protects and guarantees. He affirms you belong to God. And here's a third one. The Holy Spirit comforts us in our troubles. So Jesus made the promise, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper. The King James Version uses the word comforter here. Look again at John 14, verse 16 and following. And I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Look how Paul ex explains this comfort in Philippians 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace that surpasses all understanding. One translation renders that transcends all understanding. Maybe you grew up hearing the phrase, passes all understanding. It's beyond understanding is what he's talking about here. And some of you have experienced that kind of comfort from God. It's, it's beyond words, but because of what you've been through, you experience that peace. And your heart, you have a hard time telling somebody else about it because they don't have it. They've not experienced it. Or maybe you've witnessed that kind of peace 
in someone else. You watch them, a person full of faith, and they go through this horrendous situation, and they have this amazing calm. And when they speak, it's just like faith comes out in their words. And it's just amazing to see that. And you watch them and you think about, if I had to go through that, if I had to deal with what they're going through, I don't know how I would react. If I had to deal with that kind of loss or that level of betrayal or that kind of injustice, I don't know how I would respond to that. But when you see someone who's following Jesus and they go through it and they have this overwhelming calm and peace, it transcends understanding. It's hard to explain. I would say it's the Holy Spirit comforting them. Is that not what we're witnessing there? He comforts. He gives a peace that passes understanding. The word Jesus used here in the Greek is paraclete, to talk about another helper. That's the ESV says helper. It's also translated advocate, intercessor, consoler, comforter, helper. Literally defined, it means to come alongside. So what Jesus is saying to his followers, here's what I need you to know. Both his followers then and his followers today, you're not left as orphans. You're not alone. The one that I'm going to send to you that lives inside of you is going to come alongside. So when you're the one standing in front of the casket... The Holy Spirit comes alongside. When you're the one that served the divorce papers, you didn't expect them, you're thinking, how can this be happening? The Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside. When you unexpectedly are facing unemployment, it feels very alone, the Holy Spirit comes alongside. When life just throws you in the ditch, and you're not even sure what happened, it, for sure it wasn't your fault, but there you are, the Holy Spirit draws up alongside. The presence of the Holy Spirit gives us a comfort and peace that we cannot fully put into words. It transcends understanding. It surpasses understanding. God is not just with you. He's in you. He doesn't just show up randomly and then leave. He's with you always. I put this on the screen. Randy Frazier wrote a book, His Mighty Strength. Walk daily in the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Look what he wrote here. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers us to unconditionally cherish and forgive others. Love. Have inner contentment and purpose in spite of our circumstances. Joy. Be free from anxiety because things are right with our relationships. Peace, forbear under the unavoidable pressures of life. Patience, act positively toward others. Kindness, be full of integrity, goodness. Be loyal and trustworthy to, to the people God has placed in our lives. Faithfulness, be thoughtful, considerate, and calm in our relationship with others. Gentleness. And restrain ourselves from destructive behaviors. Self-control. 
Earlier in the study, I mentioned that there are two images, metaphors, that is used in Scripture to describe the Holy Spirit. One is wind, and one is fire. And both are used a number of times. And there's quite a bit of language, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. This visible manifestation of God's Spirit. And it talks about that. We don't have time to go into all of those. But there's even fire language, if I can word it that way, that is used to describe, stay with me for a moment, our impact on the Holy Spirit. We may not think of it that way, but that's what the Scripture says. And I don't understand how all it works, but the Bible talks about you and I having some influence over the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, I put it on the screen very simply, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Can a person do that? Can you do that? Can I do that? Obviously we can if we're told not to do it. Another translation puts it this way. Do not extinguish the Spirit. Another says, do not put out the Holy Spirit's fire. Sometimes when we read verses like this, it makes us a little nervous. But let me kind of set our hearts at ease and explain that word quench or extinguish is the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 25 when he's talking about the wise and the foolish virgins. You remember that, that story? And he explains about the lamps going out of the foolish virgins. That's what he's talking about there. So he's talking about a fire going out. Same word used here. Do not quench the spirit. There's something about the way we live that can stifle the Holy Spirit's work in our life. His conviction of sin. His trying to affirm that you are saved, that you are a child. Or even receiving the comfort from God. Let's say you don't. Let's say you don't quench the Spirit. Let's say you're open. You say you want this. What if you want what God is wanting to give you? Let me close with this verse. It's on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10. I want you to get this. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we may understand what God has freely given us. That we may understand what God has freely given us. God wants you to understand first that you can be saved through Jesus Christ. If you're willing, as we've read a couple of times already in Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized, your sins will be washed away, and he will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. But maybe for you, you need to pray for the Spirit to make you aware 
to open your eyes so that you can grow more and more into the image of his son. Or maybe for you, you need to pray for the Lord to help you to feel secure. To be affirmed that you are a child of God, a son, a daughter. Or even to receive his comfort. God's not abandoned you. It's not that he's not hearing your prayers. Oh, he knows exactly what you're praying. He knows exactly what you're going through. And his Holy Spirit living in you wants to give you his comfort. If you're open, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Our song of invitation is to encourage you to say yes to whatever it is God wants to give you. Why don't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you.